So, Will. Yes? The events of this movie kick off with a simple act of public crying. That's right. One of the first shots, maybe it is the first shot, I don't remember exactly, is this overhead panning across row after row, I guess one row, but a long row, of toilet stalls, and eventually settles on one guy just sobbing in the toilet. I guess on the toilet. He's not sobbing into the toilet. Yeah, that, that's good. Probably good. Well, in the UK, you could say in the toilet, because that does reference the room. Yeah. I was going to say, it's very British of you to say he's crying in the toilet. He's crying in the WC, old chap. <laughs> but it does beg I'm a question. I'm the only person on this podcast who has not spent time in the UK. So I'm doing great. I think you're the only person on this podcast who has not, like, legally lived in the UK, right? Yeah. Ooh. The only one who hasn't been a legal resident of the United Kingdom. One of my That's because good... I'm a proper anti-monarchist, thank you. One of my good friends recently discovered that I also lived in the UK as a small child, and apparently I don't talk about this enough, but I did the same graduate program Mark did in London just a couple years before him. But also, when I was a toddler, my family lived in Northern England for a hot second. I gotta say, though, Will... Real quick, living in England made me an even stauncher anti-monarchist. It really um, brings it to the forefront. I have to be honest, I have long suspected with both of you that it's actually like a Manchurian candidate situation where you're presenting this way but suppressing your real intentions. One time I got drunk and yelled at Nick's cousin about how he needed to abolish the monarchy and nobility. She I mean, that's rude because Nick's cousin is a duke. (laughs) I wish. Then I could tell someone that actually cares. Someone I grew up with used to tell people that she was like, I don't know, 75th in line for the British throne, which she was not. Once I knew how to use the internet, I looked it up and confirmed. And her family is also like very American. She was born here. I don't think that they would be chill with an American coming over and taking the throne. But for whatever reason, that was her lie. And honestly, like, It was a high enough number. It seemed plausible. I feel like every school had somebody telling that lie. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had that. Like how at every school, someone knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who like got eaten by their pet like boa constrictor. Uh, We didn't have one of those. Oh, this was a, a urban legend that ran rampant through suburban Maryland when I was growing up. But similarly, I feel like every school, there was somebody who claimed to be like, Far enough down that it would never matter, but still that we should maybe think of them royally. I feel like the other big lie that went around my school was people would make up plot lines for episodes of TV that didn't actually exist. And they'd be like, oh, did you see the Scooby-Doo episode where they possess Daphne and it's mind control, but it doesn't actually exist. And then you could never tell if someone was just talking about an episode of TV that you had not seen or if they were lying. But this happened a lot. That is a great pre-internet prank. Right. It doesn't work now. Unless it's the case where, like, Mark, do you know about the whole Street Sharks thing? It sounds so familiar. Are you familiar with the TV show Street Sharks? I am not. But... Okay, you should be Googling Street Sharks right now to see what they look like. It's kind of a knockoff Ninja Turtles thing, where they are, you know, kind of what they sound like. They're anthropomorphic sharks who (laughs) ride skateboards and wear sunglasses and look cool. Oh, I have looked up street sharks before. There was only one season of street sharks, but somebody like as a joke on a message board 
once like made up a whole long thing recapping or like writing blurbs of like four seasons worth of Street Sharks episodes. And the person years later wrote this great essay about like how now they encounter articles and like see stuff of like people who have like Mandela affected themselves into thinking like, oh yeah, I was a huge fan of Street Sharks. I remember all these episodes. Why can I not find the later ones? And when he runs down the source, it's always his made up thing. That reminds me of the whole Darkwing Duck thread too. Do you know about that? Is this Raphael Bob Waxberg's Darkwing Duck, but where Darkwing Duck actually shoots people? Yes. Mark, did you know about this? I have heard of this one. For like four years, Raphael Bob Waxberg, creator of BoJack Horseman, had a thread going on Twitter talking about the ongoing development process for his live-action Darkwing Duck reboot where Darkwing Duck kills people. Uh, I do wish that existed. Have I told you about uh, help, exclamation point, dot, 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 it's the Hair Bear Bunch, exclamation point? I don't know. I saw this on Boomerang one time and convinced myself it was a fever dream and that it didn't exist until I googled it one time. I just googled like hair bears question mark essentially (laughs) and I found it and it lasted for 16 episodes in 1971. It is about three bears, the leader of whom is called Hair Bear and has an afro who live in a zoo and just escape. And there's a mean zookeeper named Mr. Peevely. And I don't remember anything that happened in the episode besides, like, 2 a.m. watching a TV show where a bear had an afro. I recently have gotten really into the media of my childhood that I barely remember. Shout out to the tip of my tongue subreddit for finding... It's really impressive. I have yet to put up something that they don't track down very quickly. And I'll just put in something like movie with weird magical morphing of hammer and chicken. And within two minutes, they're like, oh yeah, quest for Camelot, of course. And it's really upsetting also to discover how boring a lot of the stuff I loved in childhood was. Rewatching Quest for Camelot as an adult was a heartbreaking experience. It is so upsetting. I was watching it and I was just like, this is garbage. <laughs> like, the only thing that was good was the musical number, which was the only thing I remembered. I saw Quest for Camelot in theaters and never again, and I remember nothing. I rented Quest for Cam. We didn't own it, but I rented that movie so many times. I think in retrospect, I probably also liked that it was an adventure movie, but the main character was a girl. Which, you know, cool, great. Um, It's so boring, though. Oh, that was... Oh, it was not. It was not a fun 90 minutes. Because it was, like, not just a boring movie, but the realization that you had terrible taste as a child. And on top of that, nobody cried in a bathroom. Also true. I don't even remember how we got on this topic. That wasn't our planned cold open at all. Will, where do you like to cry in public? I mean, I don't know that I would say I like to cry in public, but if I have to do it, you know where I'm going to go. Uh, dark room surrounded by strangers? That's right, an afternoon at the cinema, where I will either feel better from watching a movie, or mask it, because it's a movie where it's plausible that I'm crying. I personally find it so poetic to cry on public transportation. Gives you a true main character moment, like you're the star of your own depressing TV show. 
Speaking of the UK, especially, the second floor or second level of a London bus is a great spot for it. If you can get that seat right up front. This is uncovering a memory for me that I had really buried, but I was not in London, but was living in another European city at a time when... I don't know how political I'm supposed to be on this podcast. Be as political as you want. Okay, so... There's an episode where we found out that Trump's first chief of staff or something was resigning. Okay, so I I was not happy when Trump was elected. And you could even say that I was pretty uh, distraught when Trump was elected. And the day after the election, I was on a bus and was on the phone with my mom and was crying. And this little girl on the bus said to her mom why is that lady crying? And her mom responded, oh, it's because she's American. And this was like a seven-year-old who, you know, wasn't American. I don't think this kid really had a concept of the 2016 election, but I think that was probably one of the greatest moments of my life, despite how distraught I was, because I think it's just such a funny story. Like, oh, why is she crying? That little girl will remember that experience for a very long time. I'm happy I gave her that gift. Also, I'm realizing I cried in public a lot in this city because at another point I was trying to set up a bank account and there had been some verification issues. I don't remember the details. You couldn't access Duo Mobile. Yeah, exactly. Because I was in another country. I don't know. But like I had several hundred dollars in this bank account that they wouldn't let me access and i think i also needed to have a bank account in the country to be able to get a cell phone or something i don't know but i was in the bank for like the third time in two weeks asking them like okay can i access it now and they said no and i am not proud of it but i started crying because i was just so frustrated and stressed out and like what is the issue? I was also not speaking English. So that added a whole new layer to it. And they were so scared of tears. Like they hopped to attend and they're like, you know what? We do have another option for verification actually. So if you can just do this, then we can make it happen. And I was like, yes, I can do that right now. And they were like, great. Five minutes later, I was verified. And that's when I learned the power of crying in public. But I have not intentionally wielded it again because I'm not good at crying on command. I'm good at crying, but I'm not good at crying on command. It's a weapon you don't want to overuse. Yeah. Then again, like people in the bank, hopefully I'm not going to be seeing them too frequently. They don't care if I'm crying. You're also not the first person to cry in a bank. Surely not. Yeah. Just like I was going to say another place that I cried in public was the Georgetown library. And I was certainly not the only person to be crying in there even that day yeah surely you're not the only person on this podcast who have (laughs) cried in the georgetown library just make sure it's not in the quiet room yeah the only thing you can do in the quiet room is make out mark did we ever show you that photo no was this a couples at georgetown picture this was a mike berbiglia during the pandemic did like a virtual comedy show for georgetown homecoming and just like anybody could get into it and As part of it, he was, like, prompting people in the chat on Zoom to, like, share their Georgetown stories. And this woman gets on the chat and is talking about this time that, like, I think her boyfriend had just gotten back in town from, like, being abroad. 
No, they they just hadn't seen each other that day. Oh, they hadn't seen each other that day. I had made it more significant. They hadn't seen each other that day, and when they met in the quiet room in the library, engaged in the most passionate makeout in a library that I have seen photographed. <laughs> and this woman told the story on Zoom to all of us strangers as like, yeah, this was this like kind of great thing that happened to me. And then like someone tweeted about it like it was weird. And one, we were all listening like, you were in the quiet room, step outside. And then also we found the tweet with the picture and it is something that quiet room at georgetown i turned a page too loud one time and got looked at and after that i never used the quiet room again it's intense in there it's more intense than the quiet room at the library of congress we think the tweet is gone (gasps) i'm just not searching the right thing i've sent this to so many people though i'm sure that i can track it down and find it for you later Maybe the podcast account can retweet it, I don't know. That is the goal. (laughs) Uh, But none of this uh, has much of anything to do with our movie this week. No, there is some crying in public. It's the inciting incident. We will dig into that and more in this week's episode of We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to figuring out the very least important issue facing the world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and we will see what's there. And this week, we are here to talk about a new movie, a 2023 release from our friends in jolly old England, Rylane. Are you going to welcome our guest? (laughs) And here to talk about it with us is our good friend, Rachel. Hi! Uh, I have to say, this is a new experience for me. I don't think I have ever been the guest for a movie that I didn't already have strong opinions about. I had never even seen this movie before. So I feel like it's kind of like my first time being on this podcast. It's weird. I hadn't even heard of this movie till we put it on the schedule. I had a feeling. I think I said on our schedule, like, maybe a movie from 2023, and then Will just filled this in, and I said, I'll Google that later. That's exactly what happened, and I think on our episode last week on Wedding Crashers, you were like, next week, Rye Lane, which is a movie. Uh, We recorded that episode a while ago, full disclosure to the audience. (laughs) But since then, I have watched the movie. Yeah, I was aware of it earlier, because this movie screened at Sundance this year, back in January, and I as is my want, went ham on reserving virtual Sundance screenings. And this is not one that I saw then, but it's one that I was sort of generally aware of. And I was, again, made aware of it when it hit Hulu in March and just never got around to watching it until putting it on the schedule. So this worked out for me too. And by that you also mean today. Yes, by that (laughs) I mean I I finished it uh, two hours ago. (laughs) A little more than one Rye Lane ago. Uh This movie's runtime is 82 minutes, which you don't see often, and I was excited. It's breezy. It is breezy. What did you think of the movie? Rachel, what did you think? Oh, I thought it was cute. I don't think it is going to be an all-time classic rom-com for me, but one thing I really enjoyed was... I felt like it did an excellent job of location shooting in London. 
for a while, I was writing down what neighborhoods they were in when they went to like little parks. They were parks that were believable given where we had previously been told that they were. All the landmarks made sense. They had a believable trajectory, which I always like to look up. But also, like, it looked so much like London. I was like, should I move back there instead of being here? Because, yeah, it was just really nice to see all of that. So I think that, for me, was the strongest part of the movie. And I don't know that it would be quite as fun if you hadn't spent time there previously. But even still, I think the sense of place is one of the stronger parts. Which is a big thing that if you read any interviews with the people who made this movie, that's something they talk about a lot. They shot on location in South London. And originally the screenplay was written in North London in Camden. And when the director, Rain Allen Miller, came on, she was like, well, I live in South London and this movie's only going to make sense to me if we put it in like the parts of the city that I grew up in. I do think... It's a cooler story happening in South London than it would be in Camden. And I cannot speak to that. Yeah, I think it's like a more interesting story because in Camden, I don't know, Camden's had its story told before. In fact, it would not be the first Camden movie that I am a guest on this podcast for. Because in Like Crazy, they spend a day in Camden. Sure, I believe you. This kind of stuff makes no impression on me because I'm a patriotic American. I do see, like, having Camden Market as the original idea of the market and kind of centering it on that. But it works so much better. Yeah, it didn't occur to me in reading about the shifts in production, like, oh, that necessarily means it had a different name when it was written. Yeah, but the other thing, Will, I don't know how much of a sense of this you have, but Camden Market is pretty popular, whereas Rylane is in Peckham and is pretty far south. So you're not going to have the same tourists. It's it's a place for locals. Right. And I think that also gives an interesting twist on where the art show is happening and sort of his trajectory as an artist. Like you start with the mouths in a place that's kind of hard to get to. And then by the butt show, he is in this beautiful gallery overlooking the Thames. So I kind of wondered, like, what has his story been in the last few months? Because clearly he's moving up in the art world, just based on the location of his showings. That's interesting. And I can feel that kind of stuff going on in the movie, even though I know that I'm not aware of it. In sort of the way I sometimes feel like watching a movie that's in another language, where I'm like, I get that there are layers going on here that I'm just not picking up on. It's like when we watched Your Name, which I believe was a previous episode, how there's- Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago. Jokes about how there's so many different personal pronouns in Japanese that they kind of capture in subtitles, but didn't fully make sense to me till I had someone who speaks Japanese explain it. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I'm kind of in a similar place on the movie as you, Rachel, where I enjoyed it. I think it's like pretty well made. I think- The performances are a lot of fun. I really enjoyed a lot of how it was shot. I loved uh, what the director called the peep show shots, where it's like straight on the actors, but they're not looking straight down the lens like they would in like a Jonathan Demme thing. They're looking a little bit over it. I thought that did a nice job of like really getting up in with them in this sort of like heady, 
falling in love attitude where this person is just sort of dominating your perception. The whole thing's lit really cool, especially whenever they're inside. There are these like crazy like neon tints to things. But ultimately, it's small enough that it can feel a little slight at times, which is not a bad thing. But I think it's what keeps it for me from becoming like a Stone Cold classic. I do think I'm a bit more positive on it than you both, because I wouldn't say, you know, this is entering the pantheon of rom-coms. But it definitely makes me excited to see follow-up from the director, at the very least. And I did enjoy just, you know, I love a movie that's just a day of people talking. But it was also fun that this movie took that, but then did add some stylized elements where, you know, when she was telling a story, they cut to it taking place on a stage with the audience being composed of all of him clapping along with it. Things like that, where... It did leave reality for little bits at a time, which I always found very fun. And even not just for whole set pieces, like that stage reenactment, like there's just basically a cutaway gag when he talks about how he recognized his friend's penis. And it shows the two of them as teenagers with an arc that you could only get from like a lawn sprinkler. Okay, so is that not, nor I don't have a penis. I don't have any siblings with penises. I don't know that I've ever watched someone with a penis. This is not realistic. No. It is heightened. The the range and force on display. That would require. Surpass human capability. Very strong bladder muscles. is, Is it a typical thing to know what your like platonic high school friends penises look like just from using urinal no there are two appropriate places to look when using a urinal one is straight down eyes tunnel visioned on your own penis the other is dead ahead at the wall that's why some bars hang newspapers over the urinals wait what yeah like there are bars where they'll put like the sports section over a urinal and you can read it while you pee really except now it's almost always ads at Georgetown, is that where they would put the stall seat journal in the men's room? No, they put that in stalls. Okay, because that's, that's where it, it was belongs. in the women's room, but there this, were only stalls there. This was the one-page health newsletter that was hung on the inside door of stalls at Georgetown. You don't have enough time to really process a stall seat journal at a urinal. You're just skimming headlines. Is there a market for a newspaper specifically written for urinals is this how i crack into print media you know i think that's a booming business and you should give it a (laughs) shot will uh we love the love sponsor me uh we would advertise if you got underway great with what money that's not our problem (laughs) right now because right now your your problem is launching (laughs) a print media empire on toilets i think by the time no 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 no, not toilets urinals i think by the time it has taken off we will either have ended or monetized the show because it will be several years i feel like we're in a race now (laughs) are you gonna make money from this podcast or am i gonna launch a urinal journal journal um the urinal journal journal. We'll see, you know, maybe the next time I'm a guest on this podcast, maybe I'll sponsor you because I'm so successful. Listeners, if you have any requests for topics for the first issue, tweet at we love the love hashtag urinal journal to give me your ideas. You will be credited. I'm not going to steal your ideas. Did you catch the most recent edition of the UJ? (laughs) It's what all of the people will be saying when they leave the bathroom. We're just calling it the Udge these days. <laughs> the Udge. 
the Yerger. Ooh, Yerger's cute. Did you get to the, I think it was either mid or end credit scene of this movie? Didn't know there was one. Turned off the movie. There is... Not the first time that's happened. A brief scene where it's like the urinal scene where I think the fake pee malfunctions and like starts squirting even higher and everyone just starts laughing. That rocks. I love that. A very fun touch to this movie. The world's shortest blooper reel. Okay, follow-up question. We have established it's weird to look at each other while using urinals. Yes, you also would not be, like, leaning back and boogieing while <laughs> peeing the way they are in this. Well, they're high schoolers. I don't know. But is it acceptable to talk to people? I ask in part because there's some chatting while he's crying on or in the toilet, depending on whether you want to be American or British about it. And I wrote in my notes, is it weird to talk while peeing? And I was only thinking about using the stall, but now that we're discussing urinals, I feel like there's a whole other element to consider too. Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it is generally frowned upon, but acceptable, basically like if you came in together. See- Like you can continue a conversation. I find that some people are definitely more willing to talk while peeing than others. Some strangers will strike up conversation and it's incredibly uncomfortable. And personally, I I find that even if you're mid-conversation, the part where you're actually peeing can be a pause. Everyone can have a personal moment. I would prefer not to continue the conversation. Stuff should only be coming out one hole at a time. That is honestly... A probably true. Yeah. Anytime multiple holes. But also, I mean, general urinal etiquette is all about getting a respectful distance, right? Like, you never take a urinal next to somebody else if you can avoid it. Similarly, you should not impose your words upon them. Thank God for the urinal okay, okay, game. but say things should only come out of one hole at a time. Does that mean you cannot cry while peeing? Your eyes aren't holes. They're, your tear ducts are holes. I think it's okay. I think that feels less in your control, and it would, for me, be a very disconcerting experience. Yeah, I do think crying while peeing would be upsetting. Did you play the urinal game, Will, on addictinggames.com? I think you have mentioned it on the podcast before. Uh, I think it was a public service disguised as a game. And it's just like a puzzle game where you tell people which urinal to use? Yeah, it's like you walk into a bathroom and you have to click on the appropriate urinal. Yeah, that's education. That's jumpstart bathroom time. I think more people could stand to play games that teach etiquette like that as a kid. Another follow-up bathroom question. Do you all at your places of work have a preferred stall or urinal? I ask because I very much have a preferred stall and occasionally I'm a little annoyed if it's taken when I go into the bathroom. I mean, my workplace doesn't have men's rooms. Because I work at an all-girls school, so all the men's bathrooms are a single occupant. There's one I tend to go to first, but mostly because it's what the urinal game taught me was the correct answer. And what is that? I mean, the farthest from the door, unless that's a children's, like, a shorter urinal, in which case you take two over from it. So you leave a gap in case a kid comes in, there's still a urinal in the middle. 
That you makes know, sense. I think I need to play the urinal game because that is not what I would have guessed. The pr- I'm sure it was a flash game is the issue. Yeah, it's almost certainly no, do unplayable. You not, do, do you not have a uh, workaround to still be able to use flash? I don't. I was oh. trying to play Save the Sheriff fairly recently. Well, uh, we can chat later because um, there are a lot of neopian secret avatars that can only be gained by playing flash games. I want to be very clear. And I'm not being sarcastic when I say this. I have not done anything illegal in order to obtain any secret avatars on Neopets. I have done things that could compromise my cybersecurity, but that is a personal choice and is perfectly legal, just unwise. As long as you're doing... We'll put that disclaimer in the episode description. Thank you. <laughs> as long as you're also, using personal, not professional. all of these views represent my own and not those of my employer. Yeah. So Rylane. Yeah, Rylane. Okay, back to the movie. Are we going to go longer than the movie in this episode? Almost certainly. It would be my second time! (laughs) That's right, after The Wedding Singer. Which I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, had you heard The Wedding Singer before doing it for the podcast, or just seen it on an airplane without headphones? Oh, no, I had seen it many times because, remember, that's how I learned that in the 80s, people had sex with, like, 300 people, and oh, it was normal. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was a laundry-folding movie for me as a teenager. Okay. Anyway, as I said, Ride Lane was directed by Rain Allen Miller in her feature debut. Uh, Mark, perhaps exciting for you, since you said you were excited to see more work from her, and I'd be happy to see more work from her, too. When you read interviews from her around Sundance or around the British release in March, she kept saying, like, yeah, I decided to make movies, and I, like, did not want to be a rom-com director. I, like, think rom-coms are fine, but I'm not passionate about the genre. What she was passionate about was making a movie in her community, and this script, which had already been written, adapted well to that. But so, I know she's working on a screenplay now, and I imagine it will be a different genre that maybe you'll like even more. I hope so. I mean... You know, second movies can always be hit or miss, but I think there is a chance that with a script that she's passionate about behind her, we could see some really cool work. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think would be interesting to seek out, and I have not bothered to because I finished this movie two hours ago and then needed to eat dinner. She actually is like relatively new to filmmaking in general. Like she had been an art agent and an art buyer for a while, which I think you can kind of see in the movie. Yeah. And then moved into advertising. And she started directing after Brexit. She had sort of a like, shoot, things are bad moment. Yeah. And sort of her breakout thing was a short film in 2018 about a member of the Windrush generation. This generation of West Indians who came to the UK after World War II were encouraged to do so by the British government to help rebuild the country in the wake of the bombings from the war. And so she made that. And then it was... On that, that a BBC producer sort of pointed her out to the writers of this movie, Nathan Bryan and Tom Melia, and was like, she would be a good director for this, so you should hire her. And it's a lot of people who are kind of new. Like, Nathan Bryan, this is his first screenplay. He's like a British sitcom actor. He co-created a sitcom about paramedics called Bloods, which is not a thing you could name a sitcom in the United States. I think I've heard of it. He did three episodes of the British version of Ghosts. You know, Ghosts, Mark. Ghosts on CBS? Comedy on CBS? Hell yeah. Oh, my parents are super into that. Everybody loves Ghosts. It's a hit. I've seen, like, the pilot. It was fine. 
It's one of the first big movie roles for Vivian Oparo, who plays Yaz, uh, and for David Johnson, but he's a little better known in the U.S. because he's in the cast of Industry, which is one of those shows that nobody watches, but the people who do love it. Another thing I've very vaguely heard of. I mean, that one's on HBO. Yeah. And I think, Mark, this is an important reflection of the cultural power of something like HBO still can't match CBS because you're vaguely aware of industry, but you know about ghosts. I've seen so many commercials for ghosts on CBS, and it's very specifically like ghosts on CBS. What are you watching on CBS? Nothing. But it's on, I don't know which platforms. Maybe it was on Peacock or something. I don't even know what the last time I watched commercials. Because, like, it makes sense for me. I watch Survivor. And Survivor's on Wednesday. Thursday night is Comedy Night on CBS. So I always see promos for Ghosts and promos for Young Sheldon. Young Sheldon, who I gotta say, is getting to be, like, a little older Sheldon. Adolescent Sheldon. Especially if this strike goes on for a while. They're gonna miss a year of, of Young Sheldon and have to deal with older Sheldon. What we need is for Young Sheldon to last long enough that the timelines meet. That he hits the age Jim Parsons was when Big Bang Theory started. Oh, TikTok. That's where I was. How long that'll take? That's where I was seeing ghosts commercials. You know, it never really occurred to me that there were commercials on TikTok, but it makes sense. A lot of ads on the TikTok. You can't sign up for, uh, you know, some kind of uh, TikTok verified, get a little check mark, and not have to see as many of those. You cannot shoot right to the top of all the replies. Can you believe that the government of China has imposed a time restriction on TikTok in China? I did not know this. Yeah, you could only look at it for 40 minutes a day. And then what, like the app just won't work? I think so. So, Rachel, you're holding up a calculator that says 2042. Are you saying that is the year at which young Sheldon will be the age Jim Parsons was when the show started? That Yes. That's a lot longer than I thought. That is a lot longer than I thought. Jim Parsons was 34 when Big Bang Theory premiered. I would have guessed he was like 28. I have never seen a full episode of the Big Bang Theory. I mean, maybe he was 33 when it was shot. Or maybe, you know, pilots can get shot very early. But we have a ways to go until young Sheldon becomes blank Sheldon. What we might need to happen is young Sheldon goes off the air and they bring back, like, they bring it back for young Sheldon Legacy. The, like, revival series. Which show with legacy in it are you referring to? I don't know. Was that the Prison Break sequel? I don't know, because there's a Roni legacy coming soon, and I was like, there's no way Will is referencing Roni legacy right now. Uh, 24's sequel series was Live Another Day. Young Sheldon, Live Another Day sounds funny. It does sound like it's like a- about him dying or something. That's when young Sheldon gets cancer. Um, okay, so there is a TV movie called Prison Break, The Final Break. <laughs> Young Sheldon, The Final Break, also funny. It looks like the Prison Break res- uh, Resurrection series was called Prison Break Resurrection. I feel like there was one that was called Legacy. I don't know. Well, whatever. Young Sheldon, Live Another Day, coming to us in 2042. I'd love to know what Jim Parsons gets paid per episode of Young Sheldon. Because he does a little narration at the beginning and the end of every episode. And... If you told me he was making a million dollars per episode, I would believe you. I doubt it's that high, but I'm sure it would be a disgusting amount of money. Okay, we have a Distractify article. Oh no, it says it's unclear. <laughs> uh, this is one of those clickbait articles where the the title is your question, and then the article says, we don't know. 
He was being paid $1 million per episode when Big Bang Theory ended. Okay, so he's not making that much. And Ian Armitage, who is young Sheldon, when the series premiered, was making 30000 per episode. That's definitely gone up. So, But somewhere between 30000 and $1 million for Jim Parsons. Okay, so it's a pretty narrow band, and it's somewhere <laughs> in there. Are they 22-episode seasons? Because if it was like a million a season, yeah. I'd buy it. Um, I mean, they're long seasons, yeah. Full broadcast comedy. Apparently, Jim Parsons also turned down a $50 million contract when he decided to leave the show after the 12th season. Oh, yeah. CBS tried to get them to do more. But spoiler alert, he did not. That's a joke about the Jim Parsons movie, spoiler alert. Is that the Sally Field movie? Yeah. You've got you've to gotta keep running because you can't stay where you're... I don't know. I didn't see the movie. I just saw the trailer a lot. You have to run the race in front of you because that's all there is. Um... Rye Lane's a COVID movie. It's shot in the spring of 2021. So vaccines were rolling out as it was being shot. And the director, Rain Allen Miller, did not want it to look like a COVID movie, didn't want it to feel set in that moment, which she talked about making it a little difficult when they wanted like crowd shots and wide shots in these public areas because they didn't want people walking by in masks. So they had to deal with fewer crowds than they had wanted. They'd have to do retakes sometimes. But there are apparently, and I didn't pay too close enough attention to find them, there are apparently shots in this movie where people who are wearing masks in real life have had beards digitally put on their faces. Amazing. That's great. What a cover. I will say the market did feel emptier than I imagined it would be in real life. But it didn't feel like watching that texting movie that we saw in theaters with Priyanka You're, talk, you're talking about uh, Love Again, the Celine Dion movie. Yes, that one. No, it feels like you're in the market at a weird time. Not like you're watching Locked Down starring Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Right. Mark, did you watch any, like, outright... Did you watch any, like, actual COVID movies? I don't think so. I think Love Again was the closest I got. Which isn't a pandemic movie, but should be. Oh, I forgot it isn't. It It is one, though. It feels more like one than this movie. We spent a lot of that episode arguing that the movie would make more sense if it were textually about the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I've just got this note from Rachel, <laughs> for some reason, rather than saying it, that Jim Parsons makes one and a half million dollars per season of Young Sheldon. I didn't want to interrupt and be the reason we got derailed again, but it's your <laughs> show, so you can... Choose to host it toward derailment if you want to. I mean, God forbid we lose out on a second episode talking about Love Again, the hit movie that everybody loved. (laughs) We released that episode like two weeks after the movie opened. And at that point, I think it was showing on one screen in DC. I actually ended up seeing it because I read the book for your episode. That's right. Yes, you read the German book. And thought I should also see the movie. And both are pretty weird, but I think maybe the book makes a little more sense. I don't know. They're they're both pretty weird. I want to see the German movie because it sounds like that's the one that really hits the sweet spot. I mean, people liked that. It was like a hit. Movies about texting are just hard to do. Yeah, I feel like That's kind of the challenge just of making movies in the present is I feel like a lot of people still haven't really cracked how to make looking at a phone and communicating via phone dynamic. And it's such a part of modern life. There's a thing that gets thrown around on Twitter a lot of like, 
you take a look at some of the big canonical directors and a lot of them, you know, Spielberg, Scorsese, that kind of crew have not made a movie set in the present since the rise of smartphones. I actually do think this movie, Rylane, didn't do a bad job of incorporating them, but also being realistic in the situations where they wouldn't be used as much. Yeah, I think the movie manages to avoid having to deal with phones too much just because they're walking most of the time. Right, but then there are some cases where like, we see her try to text him after they've had their fight, but even more importantly, we see him FaceTiming with Gia and then screenshotting, and that's how he discovers that she's cheating on him. Sure, that's true. One thing I really liked, like a really good capturing of texting, is when she types out a message to him, and then he picks up his phone, and then he like looks at it, and the message is actually from his mom, and she didn't actually text him. That felt to me like dynamic, in a way that you don't get without a phone. Like, that was kind of yeah. using a phone in a way to tell a story. In a way that's actually more interesting than watching her, like, pick up the phone and then, like, an old phone. Like, yeah. pick up a phone and put it down. Because you actually, like, even get to read the thoughts without yeah. them being communicated. Yeah, I'm always interested in seeing how people attempt to do phone stuff. I mean, I think eighth grade did such a good job with it, but that's also five years ago. And in phone culture, that's so long, right? That's like kids on YouTube, not kids on TikTok. But you know what? Maybe uh, the Russo brothers live action Hercules for Disney inspired by TikTok will be the movie that finally cracks it. Is that real? That is a real thing that was announced. I'm glad you all haven't picked up on the trend of videotaping. That's not what it's called anymore. We discussed this in the Wedding Singer episode, filming and posting on YouTube the uh, recording of your podcast so that your listeners will not see the face I've just made. Oh, at the at the Russo Brothers Hercules inspired by TikTok? Why would they do that? I don't know that they're planning to direct it. They might just be producing. The worst Why can't I've they just focus heard. on Community the Movie instead? It is, like, very funny to me how, like, in my head, like, my perception of the Russo Brothers has gone from, like, some of the best directors of TV comedy to like, oh, you know what? They made like a pretty good Captain America movie to now I'm just like, I think they're bad. I think they're bad at this and they don't know they're bad at it. To be fair, I did not see Cherry. Um, I they're, think there's a reason you didn't watch Cherry. Their Tom Holland, I think, has PTSD movie? I believe so. They also did The Gray Man, that other movie that everyone watched last year. Look, according to Netflix, everyone did watch The Gray Man. I did have a student once ask me if I watched The Gray Man, and I said, no, life's too short to watch The Gray Man. <laughs> and they said, but you can see Chris Evans as a villain. And I said, I have knives out for that. So Rylane yes, okay. is, in fact, a romance. Shall it's we discuss romance? this romance? Uh, there's a lot of other emotions going on, but yes, Mark, I think you're right. I think we should talk through the romance of this. Now that we've dealt with all of our young Sheldon questions, <laughs> now that we've talked through love again, again, extensive we can finally get conversations. Every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points to guide conversation. Rachel is our guest. Would you kindly take us to point one? I would love to. Uh, point one is very easy because it is the beginning of the movie. Our two leads, Dom and Yaz, meet at an art gallery in Peckham, just 
by Rye Lane Market. And they each have a personal connection to the artist. Dom met him when they worked together at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And Yaz is mates with his girlfriend. Chums, you might say. She said mates. Okay. And as we discussed earlier, Yaz goes to the restroom. That's not what British people would call it. The loo. The toilet. And discovers Dom crying and asks if he's okay. Um, And then they exit the bathroom and are looking around the gallery, which is full of pictures of lips. And Yaz recognizes Dom's shoes. And Dom doesn't initially realize that she is the lady from the loo. Hashtag lady from the loo. You're crushing it on the hashtags. Maybe that'll be a serialized story in the urinal journal. <laughs> it sounds like a, like a paperback thriller from five years ago. The lady in the loo. I'm trying to think back. Didn't NPR like sponsor this podcast for a hot second? NPR expressed interest in this podcast. Can the urinal journal be a sponsor of this podcast? Well, I fully flipped around. At first I was trying to take your money. Now I want the publicity. I think you should start by getting a few issues on the ground so that you have something to advertise. No, no, no. Not on the ground. In the stalls. Oh, right. Over the urinals. Yes. Um, As we've alluded to, and you sort of said outright, the art show that they're at is like a bunch of close-up pictures of lips. Especially lips sort of like, they're not even like puckering up. They're like pushing out in a way that displays teeth. Uh, kind of like. trying to do it, which is great. It's kind of like a um, animal like bearing their teeth in an aggressive way. Spe- Actually, like a monkey. I, I would say it's just sort of an over-articulation. Like a slightly puckerier version of how you hold your lips to apply lipstick, I'd say. Oh. Flatten out for lipstick, but it's the same sure. mouth shape. So it's like, do your lips like you're doing lipstick. Now don't move your jaw at all, but pucker. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. And this is an important thing for us to think about because, you know, we know more about the planet Jupiter than we do about the inside of our own mouths. If you'll indulge me, clearly you will. This podcast has been going on for like an hour already. I just want to read you the notes that I had written up to this point in the film bullet number one says crying in bathrooms bullet number two is it weird to talk while peeing so we're doing a good job of covering things bullet number three do people still a thing wish i knew what that was about uh but number four mouths colon tongues question mark which i think i wrote to denote do tongues look weird I've never deeply considered them, but I was forced to by this art exhibit. Yeah, tongues are strange. They're the only, like, free-moving muscle in the body. They're like a pinkish Jabba the Hutt in your mouth. Wait, so does a tongue... And like Jabba the Hutt, there are five little dudes inside moving it around. Does a tongue look like what your other muscles in your body look like? I don't think so because of the taste buds. Oh, sure. But like the underside, maybe? I guess it's not unlike a muscle based on the pictures in 
drawings because I've not seen a human muscle in person. We need more for this episode. Yeah, we need to loop her into this. You should get her to write a piece for the Urinal Journal. Oh my gosh, that's an excellent idea. Do you think she would write a piece on fecal transplants for the Urinal Journal? Yes, but we don't have time to get into fecal transplants. You should do that on her next episode. Anyway, tongues. This is honestly just the second time in my life that I've thought about what tongues look like. The first time was my cousin sent me a video of her then, I think, like, two-year-old daughter, a little toddler, maybe 18 months. And at one point in the video, her daughter stuck her tongue out. And that's when I discovered that apparently I have my dad's side of the family's tongue because this child and I have the same tongue. And I sent the video to my sister and I was like- recognized the tongue? I know that sounds weird, but I sent the video to my sister and I was like, this is gonna sound super weird, but watch this video. She and I have the exact same tongue, right? And my sister was like, this is extremely creepy. But yes, you do. I have since showed it to like my boyfriend, other friends, like everyone agrees. So, you know, I guess it makes sense that tongue genetics would be hereditary to some extent or like, but I'd never really thought about it until I discovered that they can be heavily similar. Even, you know, like cousin's child is a pretty distant relative. Anyway, mouths, colon, tongues, question mark. Okay. Well, here's the thing. You know, we know more about Neptune than we do about the human anus. These are just the kinds of pronouncements this artist likes to make. But as you say, they they meet and they sort of start chatting. And at first, he doesn't realize it's the person from the bathroom. When he figures it out, he is embarrassed. Yeah, and what's come out is that he has had a really nasty breakup. He had been with Gia, his ex, for six years, and they just broke up, I think... Three months ago. Yeah, three months ago. And we later find out they broke up because she was cheating on him with his best friend from primary school. Whose dick he recognized from their time peeing together. Yeah, well, he discovers it because he FaceTimes her because he's at the movie theater and asks when she's arriving. And she is not someone who likes to show up early for Maria Menudos and says, I know you want to see all the trailers, so just go sit down and I'll get there eventually. And he says, bye, love you, and screenshots as he's hanging up. I can't tell if it's intentional, but I think it is. I think it's not. Well, he has a bunch of other screenshotted pictures of her. I think he's bad at it. Oh, okay. Sure, that's believable. But then he notices in the picture, he can see in very low resolution his friend's penis behind her. So clearly she's cheating on him. And instead of... Going to confront her, he goes in to watch the movie and be a little Will, I guess. Look, at this point, he's bought the the ticket, he's bought the snacks. Like, it's a sunk cost. What movie do you like to imagine he watched? I was listening to the score and hoping it would be identifiable, and it was not. But, you know, if the movie shot in spring 2021, there are not that many things it could be if he's, like, in a theater in 2021. So I'm going to say he's seeing our guy Tom Holland, star of Cherry, in Chaos Walking, that movie that everybody loved. I don't think the timeline makes sense, but I think it's Peter Rabbit 2, 
rabbit in the, the city. Runaway? <laughs> I think this brings us to point two. Yeah, I think so. The whole movie, like you said, Mark, for the most part, it has that sort of just like walking around over the course of a day thing going on. And Dom is walking to meet up with his ex. He's having lunch, some meal. Time of day is a little hazy. But he's having meal with her and his old friend, her new boyfriend. We're told basically it's because they want to feel less guilty. Which they say outright to him. Gia is trash. Bold. Her eyelashes are incredible, though. Look, she looks great. She looks great. It is just so aggressive, and I loved it when she was just like, look, we feel guilty, so we want to talk about you to make us feel less guilty. We want to be able to move on with our loving relationship, and you are in the way. Right. She says, like, we don't want to be reminded about you, or something. Like, it's really bad. It is so funny. I'm also just struck by the fact that it seems like the friend genuinely does not comprehend that he has done something wrong. He's extremely dumb. Extremely dumb. But I think he thinks they're still on fine terms. Right. So then when Yaz, like, bursts in and sits down like she was invited and pretends to be Dom's new girlfriend... The friend is just immediately like, oh, good to meet you. Sit on down. Let's have a great time. Yeah, we're all friends here, is his vibe, which is Look at us on a double date. Because Yaz offers to be a fake date to help him get through this breakup and win the breakup. He says no. She shows up anyway. And does a terrific job making him seem cool, making him seem wanted. And he had not really been feeling wanted. She tells this whole made-up story about how they met at karaoke and just, like, brought down the house. You guys heard of Nothing But a G Thing? It's this fire hip-hop karaoke night. Me and my girls were there a few nights back. And, you know, I was just chilling, fighting off an onslaught of dead guys. And just as I'm thinking, rah, there isn't a single decent guy in this entire place I hear. We have yes! Turns out one of my girls put my name down as a joke. It was just this immediate, deep, animal attraction, palpable sexual energy crackling. Everyone in the room could feel it. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. But, you know, calling it a room makes it sound kind of small. We lit that place up. People were losing their minds. And there was just, like, this sea of people like a mini concert. And when we finish, the crowd start chanting, Yaz, I enjoyed, I feel like you don't see this in movies much, where he was building on the story. Like, he buys into it. He does not fight the whole meal. He gets excited about it. Which is more fun. Right. It builds the scene. And then she also really calls out Gia for the way that Gia treated Dom. And we start to maybe get some inklings that perhaps it is not Dom and Gia's relationship that she's really angry about. Right, she's bitter about her own recent breakup. 
And again, Eric has no idea what's going on. No, he's just vibing. <laughs> but I think her relationship is a good transition to your third point, Rachel. Yes, which is that when they exit the Brazilian restaurant where they had met Gia and Eric, apparently this restaurant used to be Gia and Dom's favorite date night place. So this is some real salt in the wound to Dom. But they exit and... Wait, is this when they go for chicken nuggets? No, this is when they go for tortillas. Oh, that's right. At um, Love Guacchuli. A pun that only works with a British accent. <laughs> also featuring Colin Firth as the burrito man. What a weird cameo. A thing that I recognized and then said to myself, surely Colin Firth is not this burrito man. And convinced myself it was just a lookalike until I was reading articles and they were like, Colin Firth appears in the movie. I also didn't even put together like using a British accent for guac that it makes more sense and isn't just incomprehensible. Right, because they say guacamole. Guacamole. So I love guacamole. It's always weird when you realize that, like, the key to this pun is a different accent. <laughs> so they got tortillas, and at this point, they have... Have they kissed yet? No, um, they've transitioned to Brixton. They're no longer in Peckham. I'm also now very self-conscious that I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, and your British listeners are gonna come and yell at me. I'm, I lived in Bermondsey, which is on the South Bank, but I never got that far south. I have been working hard this episode to be the target of the ire of any British listeners, so I think you're okay. Oh, I appreciate that. That's a kind service you're providing. Bermondsey and Brixton are like the opposite side of the South Bank, aren't they? No, no, no. Peckham. Oh, Peckham. It's still, they're not close. Yeah, but I, they're only like two miles apart. I would sometimes get about halfway there because there was a big Tesco that I liked to shop at on Old Kent Road. But anyway, so now they're in Brixton. They're walking around and he says, you know, I want to help you like you helped me in there. What can I do? And she reveals that her ex still has her tribe called quest record and she wants it back but one important side note in this she tells the story of how she broke up with her ex who is named jules jules is a sculptor and a true artiste as my dad would say and there was one night that she was feeling a little frisky and wanted to heat things up sensually. And he was not really picking up on it. And she mentioned that she had made some hummus and he asked her to go get some for him instead of being willing to get it himself. And so she then, because she wants to be amorous, I feel like I'm doing a really good job of using different euphemisms. You're doing a great here. job. I'm like a thesaurus for lovemaking. You can cut that potentially. Nope, we're keeping that. That's how we're introducing you from now on on the show. The thesaurus, <laughs> the thesaurus for lovemaking. Love she uh, expresses that she's interested in that and has him... Right, maybe he chooses to, I don't know, unhook his overalls. A hilarious piece of physicality to watch with him, like, shrugging out of his overalls to get a blowjob. 
She then uh, begins to perform fellatio. I knew you'd come up with another <laughs> word. And realizes that everything is always about him. And that frustrates her. And so she dumps the hummus onto his penis. And this she presents this as if it's this huge own. But I looked it up. And apparently hummus is really good for your skin. So really she did him a favor there. It's wonderful skincare. Right? Yeah. Like huge bowl of hummus onto his genitals. He's. They're going to be glowing. It, it's going to be like a baby's bottom. But it's his bottom. Very kind of her really. Maybe his bottom could be featured in the art show at the end. Oh, that's interesting. Except like, I did not like that art show. When they uh, go in the elevator and we see that the elevator has a giant butt printed on the doors. Uh, that, and the, so the butt opens and closes. That was great. My feelings on butts, <laughs> listeners can refer to the aforementioned Wedding Singer episode. I don't know how we talked about that. Uh, there are so many butts in that movie and I don't like it. So anyway, they, they break into her ex's home. They like get a spare key from his mom's. There's a bunch of hijinks to make that happen. But they get in, they're stealing the record, and then he and his new girlfriend come home and catch them. And not only do they come home and catch them, but when they come in, Yaz has pulled a pair of the new girlfriend's underwear, or pants, as the British would say, on. I'm sorry, the British call it pants? Yeah. Then what do they call pants? Trousers. Trousers. Dorks. (laughs) <laughs> wait, wait, side note. Do you want to know an interesting fact? Do you know why it's called a pair of underwear or a pair of panties? Do tell. Okay. Back in the day. They would make them out of pairs. It Only was in Genovia. like crotchless outsides of pant legs sewn together. Oh, I did know about this. And then, and so underwear with a crotch is a relatively recent development, but that's why it's a pair because it used to basically just be like a pair of legs on the outside of your legs. So it's like a pair of pants or that's where like panties comes from because it's little pants. I feel like a lot of our listeners will not have seen Rylane and they should. It's on Hulu. If you're the British listener who's mad at me, it's on I think Disney Plus. It's on Mm -hmm. Star Plus in other parts of the world. It's a BBC finance production, too. Yeah, but Disney has the distribution. Oh, okay. But even if not, you're learning a lot this episode. I feel like this is one of our most educational times. Yeah, so they break in, are discovered. She's wearing, she, as in Yaz, is wearing the new girlfriend's pants. Underwear. And, or actually, I think they call it a thong. She's wearing her thong. And... Is that thesaurus? Jules goes out of his way to tell Dom, like, it seems like you might be kind of into her, but, like, she is crazy. She is a quagmire, and new girlfriend says that means bog. And Jules says they know what quagmire means, they so, read a series of unfortunate events. But I'm just saying, like, a lot of Thesaurus work in this movie, too. She will pull you down into all of her petty drama. Like, he is really going off on her kind of unkindly and unnecessarily, especially because we then find out she lied about being the one to dump him. He is the one who broke up with her. And I feel like if you are the dumper... You have a certain responsibility of, like, magnanimity. Is 
that you have to be magnanimous to the dumpy because you have already hurt them. So why kick them while they're down by being super mean to them in front of a potential new romantic prospect? So things are not going great for them because he also, Dom feels like he's been misled about Yaz's whole situation, which they were relating through. And Yaz feels like she's been humiliated in this whole thing and also did not get her record. I think she got it, but then threw it away because she was so upset about what had happened with Dom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they have their big fight. They like yell at each other. And then what makes this different from other like walking around movies like the before trilogy is that we have a time jump. We see them going on dates with a bunch of different people. And eventually they, they meet back up at the butt art show. Well, no, they meet outside the butt art show. That's true. He's at the butt art show, and she calls him on her cell phone. Well, and she has been really stressing about whether to attend the butt art show because she's worried about running into him. And Maybe she's also afraid of butts. When he... It's relatable. Butts just are weird looking. They're cheeky. That was good. Thank I'll, you. I'll give you that one. And then when he gets there, the girlfriend of the artist... Camille, maybe? I don't know. Her name is escaping me. But she goes out of her way to tell Dom, like, don't worry, she's not here. Because their friends were all kind of saying, like, oh, well, you know, the two of you seem good together. Why don't you get together? That one day that you hung out. (laughs) That one day. Then again... She talks about him a lot. Definitely. Uh, You might want to cut this, but... The artist, whatever his name is, goes out of his way to refer to the two of them as his nuggets. That's right, he does. A lot of nugget talk in this movie, too, because there is the nugget date as well. Nuggets by candlelight. Yeah. But so she calls him on the phone. She's like, hi, I'm on a boat. I can see you in the building. And he waves because she has a whole thing about how there are like people who wave at boats and there are people who are no fun. She's like, see, I knew you were a fun person. And he like runs out to meet her so they can talk. I do think it's important to note that it's waving to people on boats who are waving at you. She's not just waving right, you're at not every obligated to wave at every boat. Right. She's not judging you for not waving at every boat. Because when I at first when she was saying this, I was like, "This is unacceptable behavior to expect someone to wave at <laughs> every boat." But if it's confined to the ones that wave at you, fine. I get it. You should yeah. wave back. And she says that's how she knew her relationship with Jules would never really last. It was a big red flag that he would not wave at people on boats because tourism funds sex trafficking. Right, that's his claim. But they meet up successfully and they have a big long kiss. Yeah, she he talks about how he had tried to perform some grand gestures for Gia, including nuggets by candlelight. Man, we need both your sisters on this podcast because Fiona needs to come be a chicken nugget expert. I feel like they're close enough to chicken fingers and we need Mora to come be a medical expert. To talk about the tongue's comparison to other muscles. Exactly. But he's talked about how he would try to do all these grand gestures and not only were they not reciprocated, they weren't really appreciated. And so then when she does this, Yaz says, you should be the one who gets a grand gesture this time. Which bothered me a little bit because... It's the grand gesture that means something to her. Like, she is the one who has the thing about waving on boats. That's not 
a Dom thing. And I just think it would be a slightly more meaningful grand gesture if it were something like if she had set up nuggets by candlelight for him. But, you know, it's... I think it's okay. Because, like... It's nice. It's just not an A-plus grand gesture. It's not the top tier. It's not the guy at yesterday stopping a concert to make a crazy speech. But... You know, it's it's nice. I think it calls back to interactions that they have had. And it's sort of then about the two of them both choosing to be with one another, right? At the distance, he could have turned around when he saw her. And like I said, there's this big, long kiss. The camera, like, winds up overhead above both of them while they continue kissing. And, and that's the movie. And then I turned it off, and then Mark saw more of the peeing stuff. All right, so after watching all this, including, I guess, the peeing stuff, do you find the romance believable? Broadly. Yeah, generally. The nice thing is they're not expecting us to believe a lot. No, it's that spend a day together, think about each other, and then kiss at the end. Like months later. Right. Which, you know, if you have a thing with, like, clearly it was a meaningful day for both of them. Oh, yeah, they're both going through some stuff. Again, they each helped the other deal with a weird situation with their ex. Like, if anything, I almost wonder if one of the more implausible parts is that after this little amount of time, he would have gone to help basically break into Yaz's ex's apartment. But I'm not a zero on that either. Honestly, the least believable part for me is that he is willing to do karaoke in order to get the key to Jules's apartment because we've heard from Gia previously that he is not really a karaoke kind of guy. And then he's supposed to be doing it with Yaz and she backs out, but he's still willing to go do it on his own with a song that he doesn't actually even know that well. There's like three crazy steps involved in that because there's the karaoke there's going to the ex-boyfriend's mom's house and he winds up like rooting through the underwear drawer looking for keys and then they do the actual break-in so there's a lot of levels of outrageous behavior to get there points where he would back out which is where you get comedy it's a movie but so on a scale of one to ten one the least ten the most believable where would you rate rye lane what are you thinking rachel I really don't like the guests always have to go first because I feel like the two of you always converge or not always, but you discuss this in your Miss Congeniality 300th episode that you often get very close to each other. And I worry about being the odd person out, but we like that. I don't like being the person left out. I was thinking around a six because I believe the feelings and I think There's plenty of believable stuff in it, but there are also enough crazy hijinks and I think kind of uncharacteristic behavior that it is only the lowest possible, more believable than not score for me. Mark, what do you think? I was leaning towards like a seven because I think the heat of the moment, I can see this stuff broadly happening. It's just heightened. I don't know. I think I am persuadable enough to get sucked into this type of misadventure. I think you are more likely than I am. I'm leaning more towards the six as well. And again... Thank you. That's such a relief. Again, I do like that the movie is not expecting us to, like, believe that they're married or anything. I believe that at the end they would kiss. Even after a few months. But, Mark, uh, do you think... Since you just brought it up, do you think they'll stay together? Uh, no. I don't think so. 
I think at a certain point, they will both become too much for each other. I agree with that. And especially because this movie is, in a way, so focused on the person your ex dates after they dump you. I think we didn't see enough of them as their own people outside of their past relationships. And I think I would believe it if you tell me both of them end up in the long term with the people they date after each other. Right. This is a transitional thing. But I will say, I think it is really interesting the different ways that this movie treated that concept of the person your ex dates after they date you. And also kind of the concept of friends choosing sides within Mm -hmm. the breakup. Like, I kind of wish this movie had focused a little bit more on the breakup elements of it, not the just what happened, but what is the fallout? Not just I can't leave my apartment for three months and all I can do is eat sausage rolls from Greg's, but like the larger social implications because I think it had something interesting to say about all of that, but was too focused on other elements to say it fully. I think that makes a lot of sense. Again, it's like less than 90 minutes. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff the movie's not really getting into, which is not necessarily a weakness. It just means there's more there. Mark, do you think that Dom or Yas is dateable? I think Dom is. Seems like a really sweet guy. Seems like a really nice guy. He loves movies. He likes being on time. Two things I'm also (laughs) a fan of. Yaz might be a little much for me. It feels like she is compensating for her uncertainty by introducing more chaos. Yeah, I also would not want to date someone who I know would be comfortable breaking into my home if we did break up. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And going to great lengths to do so. Like, it's not just, oh, I still have this key. It's, oh, no, my key doesn't work anymore. Let me go to his parents' house to the, you know, it's... It's a lot. It's a lot. And I understand that Jules is also a jerk, but why couldn't she just say, like, you have my record. Can I please have it back? Because he's clearly not going to give it to her. Like, he kept calling it his record and his property, and they were stealing his stuff yeah when they were taking it do you think it was actually his record no no i think he's just a dick and wanted to hurt her by keeping the record you look at him you say i know that dick um mark whom from rylane would you choose to date i know it wouldn't actually be for me and it wouldn't work but i really want to date mona because the vibe (laughs) of just being bored and asking people to do karaoke, but you get to pick the song. Big fan. Mona seems like the kind of person who's involved in light crime. That's fine with me. I don't know. I don't know yeah. about that either. The bar seems maybe not up to code. I think I would date the friend of the moms when they go to like try to get the key to the ex-boyfriend's apartment. Dom's initial job is just chat and distract people while Yaz looks. And he just spends most of the time, like, chatting with this one, like, older guy who seems really friendly, and they have a nice time together. The person I wrote down was Tanish, who is one of the moms. She 
seems pretty good-natured. She is begrudgingly willing to let a stranger come hang out at her barbecue. And I really identify with the difficult balance between hospitality and hostility. And also, she keeps her underwear in a drawer outside her bedroom. Which presumably, does that mean? Well, I was thinking that just means then there is more room in the bedroom for my stuff, which is Mm, nice. Sure. All right, one last question. Rachel, normally we say Broadway, but since we're in foggy London town, should Rye Lane be adapted into a West End musical? I think not, because as I said at the very top of the episode, which at this point is almost more than one Rye Lane ago. This makes me concerned that you've been filibustering trying to hit your record again. I genuinely have not been. I think the use of location shooting is such a strong part of this film in a way that you just can't capture on a stage. Maybe you could take the bare bones of the story and turn it into a different kind of musical, but I think it would fundamentally not truly be an adaptation of this movie because the place is so important. Yeah, I mean, it's also just like so much of the strength of this is the filmmaking, where it's those peep show shots that I was talking about. They do these super tight focus shots where the the image is rounding around there's also just like the colors of it there are all these really vivid blues and pinks throughout the movie and obviously you can have bright colors on a stage but the experience is something different yeah i think the the cutaway shots and the surreality on top of just like the reality of the place is a combination that only works in movies yeah so no musicals for the British. All right. I think that does it. We are over a rye lane. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us for a new experience for you. You have never talked about young Sheldon on the podcast. Cheerio. I I would believe it if that were not true. It's possible we have. Uh, next week, we are possibly going to go even longer than this one when we attempt a dumb thing that we've only done once, which is talking about two movies in one episode. We will be addressing... The most famous tie in Oscar history. We're doing Funny Girl and The Lion in Winter at the same time. Two stage adaptations, two Best Picture nominees, two Best Actress winners. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Rye Lane? My joke advice is live in London. But on a slightly more serious note, I think part of their connection comes from the fact that Yaz especially is so aware of and embedded in her community. So take the time to get to know the places that make your neighborhood your neighborhood. That is good advice. Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, some advice that's in this movie that I don't hate is, if it feels like things are going to be real sad, you can go to the movies, <laughs> which does happen. But also, I just think, like, just, like, doing small, goof- goofy things can be nice. Like, I think Nuggets by Candlelight actually is good, even if Dom's girlfriend 
turned on it as a concept. My advice is just chicken nuggets, karaoke, boats. What more could we say? What more do you need? Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. And I am the editor of the Urinal Journal. (laughs) So watch out for that. Watch out. Uh, Between all of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Don't know how you do the voodoo that you do so well. This is spell hell. Makes me want to shoot, 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 shoot. The average person spends almost nine and a half hours a year urinating. Imagine if you could spend that time not just peeing, but also learning. We at Love the Love Media are proud to introduce the Urinal Journal. With interesting stories optimized to be consumed during the length of your pee, The urinal journal will also help you avoid any pesky eye contact with rude strangers who didn't grow up playing the urinal game. Watch out for the urinal journal wherever you empty your bladder.